Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. And going to Mark chapter 15 and verse number 21, and also Luke chapter 23 and verse number 26. Just reading these two verses, Mark 15 and 21. Luke 23 and 26. Mark reads like this. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. They compelled him to carry the cross. Luke puts it a little bit differently. He says in chapter 23 and verse 26, and as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. Mark said they compelled him, and Luke said they laid hold on him, but either way, he was not a willing volunteer. He didn't step out and offer He didn't move forward to where Jesus was struggling under the weight of the cross and say, here, I'll take that off your shoulders. But they thrust it on him. They compelled him. They laid hold on him and forced him. The help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach for just a few moments on this thought, the unasked for cross, the unasked for cross. I know we've worshiped. I know we've prayed. We've greeted one another. We've sang. We've done all of those things. But would you join me one more time in prayer? and Let's ask God to anoint this place today. Come on, every voice lifted to the Lord right now. Father, we love you. We worship you today. We thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy today, God. I know your presence is here. I know your power is here. That your glory is manifested in this place. I pray, God, that you would begin to move through this building and walk up and down these aisles and in amongst this people that have gathered here today, God, because you know every life and you know every circumstance and situation and you know things in their life that nobody else knows today. And somehow today, God, let the Spirit of the Lord begin to minister to them through the preached Word of God today. And let let the Spirit of the Lord break up fallow ground and let it begin to soften hardened hearts and minds today that the work of God and the will of God might be done in the lives of people, God. Just be a day of impact, I pray. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, if you live life at all and you interact with people or you have a job or you're on committees or you're involved in anything, you understand like I do that we are a people that are for the most part given to planning. We plan. We have schedules. We know the old saying is we don't plan to fail. We fail to plan. But we like planning. We know all about planning. If you have a job, you plan on going to work and you plan on what time you'll be there and, and you know what the day's going to hold and what time you're going to get off. And then you plan doctor's appointments and dentist appointments and maybe chiropractic appointments. And you can look at your calendar. You can look at your day timer and you can see all these things that you have planned out. You have social engagements that are planned. Look at your week this next week, and some of you are probably getting with family even today, and maybe tomorrow, and maybe Wednesday or Friday, and different things you've got on your calendar that that are planned. They're on the schedule. That's just what you've got on your agenda. How many of you hope to take a vacation this year? 
It's on the plan. It's on the schedule. You've got it laid out. We've got it, you know, months ahead of time. Here's when we're going to go, and here's where we're going to go, and here's what we're going to do, and here's what it's going to cost, and all the things that are on the plan. We use a lot of different methods to plan. I remember the day of the calendar that hung on the side of the refrigerator. And we wrote everything on that. And then they came out with day timers that we carried around. And then computer programs and, and iPhones and everything that we've got and iPads and pieces of paper and post-it notes and stickies everywhere. We even plan to plan. We plan to plan. We have planning sessions so we can plan a calendar. And we put another planning session on the plan. So we understand plans and we schedule things so we can schedule things. We live by a plan. We live by a schedule. And if we were being honest, we don't like it when things disrupt our plans. We don't like it when something happens that rearranges our schedule. We don't like unexpected things to come up in life. We, we don't like the small interruptions of life. Anybody besides me, they just irritate the fire out of me when some little thing comes up. You know, like there you are having a perfectly good night's sleep and the alarm clock goes off. It just irritates you. You know, you interrupted me. I don't like that. Well, we don't like the little things in life when you're trying to get somewhere and you're, you're in a hurry and maybe you're running late and the, the car breaks down. It's irritating. You don't like to be driving somewhere and know that you got so much time to get there and you got an event you got to be at and then all of a sudden you come up to a construction sign and there's a detour. We get irritated with those things. You don't like getting up in the morning and thinking you've got your day laid out and everything's going to go the way you want and one of the kids comes running in and said, Mommy or Daddy, I don't feel good. And you realize my plans just got all messed up. We don't like those little things. There are little irritants in our life, and, and we have to rearrange, and we have to readjust, and we don't like it when that happens. We don't like the big interruptions either. We don't like the big things that come along when the doctor looks at us and gives us some diagnosis of a sickness, or the phone rings and we're told of some tragedy, or the death of a loved one, because it messes up our plans. It disrupts our world. It, it changes our focus, and, and we have to do things differently, and we have to readjust, and we don't like it. And probably the biggest reason we don't like it is none of us like to be put in situations that we don't control. We don't like control taken away from us because by nature, we like to be in charge. I don't mind planning, but we're going to plan what I want to plan. I don't mind a schedule so long as the schedule works for me. And, and I don't want to be taken out of control. I like being in control. You don't like having a job and things are going along good and then a new boss comes along and changes everything. You don't like these things when a family member decides to kind of go off the reservation and cause problems in the family because all of a sudden it's out of your control. None of us like to be out of control. Those extreme circumstances that come into our life when all of a sudden you're sitting in the doctor's office and he looks at you and says, I'm sorry, it's stage four colon cancer or you have an inoperable tumor or whatever it is and all of a sudden our world is rocked and it's turned upside down and we sit there and our biggest problem is all of a sudden my schedule, my agenda, my life is not what I had planned and I can't get it back in control because I can't fix it, I can't change it, I can't alter it. You live life long enough and there will come days that something will come along that's going to rock your world and turn things upside down and you're going to say, what do I do now that everything is out of control? 
We read in the Bible the story of a man named Job. The Bible talks about him being the most blessed man in all the earth. He was financially wealthy, had a great family. He owned livestock. He owned acreage. He had life going his way, and no doubt he lived life by a plan. He knew what day he had to plant what grain and what day different livestock had to be taken care of. And he had everything scheduled out and life was good for him and he was blessed beyond measure. The Bible says that Job got up every day and he offered sacrifice to the Lord. He would build that altar and give something to God and give thanks to God. And it said, thus did Job continually continually, when it recounts the story of his life at the end of his days, it said that every day Job got up, he made it a priority in his life that if I'm going to live the blessed life, I better know who God is, and I better build an altar, and I better give thanks, and it better be in my heart and spirit continually. So he's got his life, and he's living by his plans, but all of a sudden, his plans are interrupted when a carpenter of destruction shows up. Here's Job looking out the window, got this big picture window in his house. And he's looking out the window and he's enjoying life and observing everything that he's got. Looks over here and sees the cattle and looks over here and sees the sheep and and the oxen here and the donkeys over there. And he's looking at all of this and he's beholding all of it and realizing how blessed he is. And while he's looking out that picture window, the the carpenter of destruction shows up with some two-by-fours and a hammer and a nail and a saw and says, Job, I'm sorry, but your window is just a little bit too big. And, And the Sabaeans came and they took your ox and your donkeys. And that carpenter of destruction makes the window a little bit smaller because now, Job, you don't have as much as you used to have and your life has been interrupted. And before that messenger can even leave and walk out the door, the next one comes in and says, Job, I don't know how to tell you this, but but a fire came and it consumed all of your sheep. Every last sheep is dead. And he took some two-by-fours, if you will, and the hammer and nails, and he framed the window in a little bit smaller. It said, Job, you don't have as much today as you did yesterday. Your worldview is getting smaller. I, I know you didn't plan it. I know it wasn't on your schedule. And before he could adjust to that, the next carpenter of destruction comes in. It says, Job, the Chaldeans came and they took all your camels and you don't have any camels left. And you've lost your oxen, your donkeys, your sheep and the camels and they're all gone, Job. And that window of his world keeps getting smaller and smaller. Anybody ever been there? Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, something else comes along and something else comes along. It's funny to me how life seems to go in seasons like that. That one thing comes and, and then something else. And you're sitting there looking out this window that's getting smaller. And you're thinking, God, how could it get any worse? Because God, I can tell you, you can look at my calendar. I didn't plan any of this. I didn't prepare for any of it. I didn't schedule any of it. And then all of a sudden, the next guy comes in. And in order to make the window about as small as you can get, says, Job, while your sons and your daughters were having dinner, a great wind began to blow, and the roof over them collapsed, and it killed all of them. And now, Job, all you've got left is your health and your strength. And what used to be a big picture window is now like a porthole out into the world, and his world has become smaller, and his blessings have been taken away, and he's left with his health and his strength for a season. 
And the next thing he knows, he wakes up one morning. And the boils are starting to cover his body. Those ulcerating sores from top of his head to the sole of his feet. And we find him in a place of sitting on an ash heap and picking at those boils with broken pottery. The man who used to live in the lap of luxury and looked at all of the blessings of God, all of a sudden is on a pile of ashes sitting there saying, Oh God, how did it ever come to this? And God, I can't believe that this came into my world when I didn't have any of it planned. And a loving wife looks at him in his condition and sees how miserable he is and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Just curse God, Job, because it can't get any worse. You might as well just give up. And Job looks at her and he says, Woman, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we not receive good at the hand of God and not evil also? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked came I into the world. Naked I'm going to leave it. But he's still a good God. And it says in all of this, he did not charge God foolishly, nor did he sin with his lips. But interestingly to me, just two chapters later, just a few verses later, the Bible says he is cursing the day that he was born. Curse that day. Curse the day that my mama gave me birth. Curse the sunrise of the day when this baby began to cry. Because he's saying it was a beautiful day maybe to be born. But in the schedule of my life, I didn't plan a day like this. Couldn't get much worse. Couldn't get much lower. You know, I look at a crowd on Easter Sunday. If you just let me be me, I look at a crowd like this on Easter Sunday, and everybody comes and they look so good, and they're so happy to be here because it's Easter, and we got to go to church and celebrate the resurrection. But can I tell you, we may be celebrating the resurrection today, but behind those good looking clothes and that big smile of some people, there are torments going on in the mind, and there are pressures, and there are problems that some of you are carrying that came into your world, and nobody can really see it because you put on the good face and here's Job going through all the motions and, and trying to do his best but, but internally he's saying let the day that I was born be cursed it's a miserable day it's a horrible day and I wish I would have never lived if it's got to be this bad and then to make matters worse he looks up one day and he sees three friends coming down the road friends Bible calls them friends and they come in and they sit down and they look at him. They don't say a word. They just look at him. Just stare at him. Just look at him. Covered with boils. Body is emaciated. Doesn't have any wealth left. Family is gone. And they just look at him and look at him and look at him. And when they do speak, they say, Job, you must have made God mad. You must have really blew it somewhere. To look like you do and be going through what you are, you must have messed up somewhere. You must have made a huge mistake somewhere. And for days, they start feeding him that. You've got to be careful who you listen to. <laughs> Be careful the voices you let into your life. Those naysayers sit there and say, God must be aggravated with you, and God must be irritated with you, and God must be some kind of upset. And Job, I don't know what you did when you had all those blessings, but somewhere you said something or you did something, and God took it all away. And Job, what are you going to do now? And it's not long till what Job's hearing starts to come out of his mouth also. 
You listen to it long enough and it starts coming out. Yeah, I don't know. God, where are you in the midst of all this? Anybody ever ask God that? God, here I am, but where are you? And God, I, I didn't ask for this, and I don't know why I'm going through it, God, but, but where are you? And finally, in chapter 38 of Job, God shows up, and it says that God answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, stand up and gird up your loins like a man. I got a few questions for you. He said, who is this that's darkening counsel without knowledge? Stand up, Job. I got a few questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you, Job, when I staked out the corners of this thing called the earth? Where were you, Job, when the mountains were formed and the rivers began to flow? And Job, tell me, where were you when the sons of the morning began to sing for joy? Tell me, Job, where were you when Leviathan moved in the deep? Job, Where were you when the first bird began to fly and the first fish began to swim? Job, where were you when all of this began to happen? You know, and I've heard people say that what God was doing was kind of calling Job up short, saying, who do you think you are to question me? Who do you think you are to look at me and wonder where I'm at? I don't think God was doing that. I think God was doing for him exactly what he wants to do for some of you today. He was trying to wow Job all over again. He was trying to say, don't you realize who I really am, Job? That if I made this world, I know where you are. I know what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. I know what's happening in your life. Some of the greatest words in the entire book of Job is when Job said, he knows the way that I take. Oh my, he knows the way that I take. Even when I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what's going on, there's a God in heaven that says, I know right where you are. Out of all the billions of people on earth, I know the way that you take. I know when the carpenters of destruction came in. I know when the boils came. I know what you've been going through. I know the way you take, Joe. The Bible says his latter days were greater than his former days. And here are the words of Job towards the end of his life when everything's been restored. He said, I heard it with my ears, but now I've seen it with my own eyes. He said, you know what? I listened to everybody else's testimony about what God could do. I've listened to them tell how he restored them and the great things he did for them. But it's totally different now because I saw it happen in my own life. Can I tell some of you that are here today that have heard what God can do in your life and you've listened to great testimonies? Honey, that don't compare to what you can see with your own eyes. That if you'll come to him and say, God, my world's turned upside down. I don't know which way is up, but I know that you know the way that I take. So here is this man named Simon in our scripture passage. No doubt Simon had his plans laid out that day. We we will assume that because he was coming into the city that he lived in the country. But he had a plan that day and he had a schedule. He said, I got to get up and I got to go to town. I've got business to transact and people to see and maybe got to go to the bank at nine o'clock when they open and then I'll go over to the general store at 10 o'clock and then I'll go by the Milner about 1130 and then I'll grab some lunch. And he had it all laid out. There was business to transact and supplies to buy and people to see. Time was valuable to him like it is to every one of us. He had to accomplish as much as possible so that he could get back home at a decent time. And here he is on his way into town. 
He had no idea what was on the agenda. He had no idea what the city had on its calendar. He just knew what he had to get done. And here he is on his way into town. And suddenly he's met with a great press of people coming out of the city. He's trying to swim upstream against the crowd. Excuse me, sir. I I got somewhere to go. And pardon me, ma'am. And and would you let me through? And I know I'm going in a different direction. But but see, my schedule says here's where I got to be and what I got to do. And somewhere in the crowd, he finally comes across the three men carrying wooden crosses. And in his mind, instantly he realizes what's happening that day. Somebody put it on the calendar. Somebody in their world scheduled a crucifixion and said, three men are going to die today. He realized the impact of that, and he really had no idea of the charges or the men or any of the circumstances around it, but he was aware of what a crucifixion meant. And he saw them struggling under the weight of those crosses. And most specifically, the story focuses on Jesus Christ being under the weight of the cross. His body had been beaten and weakened by the beating. And the blood is leaving his body and the the sores and the scars and the pain that is there. And he's struggling under the, the weight of that cross. But Simon is attempting to go on because he has things to do. And he has some place to be. Excuse me, pardon me, this is not on my agenda. When suddenly the soldiers pull him out and compel him. They force it upon him. He did not volunteer. He didn't ask for it. He definitely wasn't looking for it. It was forced upon him at a very inopportune moment in time. It didn't fit his schedule. It didn't work with his agenda. There's no doubt when they called out to him and said, You pick up his cross. You get under the weight of that. You, out of all the people that are gathered here, we've chosen you and we're going to force you and compel you. No doubt Simon looked at them with that look on his face that said, Who? Me? Don't you understand? I've got somewhere else to go. Don't you realize that's not on my schedule today? I didn't come looking for a cross. I have other things to do. And, and look around me. There's, there's other people probably a whole lot more capable than I am. There are others that are stronger than I am. There are others that would be better equipped for this cross, but but not me. But suddenly his plans have been changed, and his world's been altered, and his agenda's been thrown out the window. And then the questions change because all of a sudden he's under the weight of the cross. He had no option. There was no checking out. There was no moving away from it. All he felt was the incredible pressure and the weight and the burden of the cross. And the questions then change from who me to where am I going? How long is this going to take? Is there any way to make this easier? Is there a way to make this thing lighter? Didn't take him long to be under the cross before he started maybe mumbling under his breath and asking how long do I have to carry this thing? It's rough. It's awkward. It's heavy. I'm not prepared for this. I didn't plan for this. I wasn't ready for this. This is not a burden I normally carry. This doesn't fit into my every everyday agenda. This is not what I normally do. But again, it was thrust on him. He was compelled. He was forced. There was no option. It was an unasked for cross in his life. It wasn't something he was looking for. And the most important question of all, how long do I have to carry this cross? How far do I have to go with this thing? How many days? How many miles? How many steps? 
Imagine a Roman soldier turning to him and saying, just follow the guy in front of you whose cross it is. Every step he takes, you take. And when you get to Calvary, you can set the cross down. When you get to Golgotha, then the burden will be taken off of you and we'll put it back on Jesus. But you got to carry the cross to Calvary. And when you get there, he'll take the burden off and he'll lift it off of you. Some of you today are carrying an unasked for cross. Your plans have been disrupted. Your schedules have been changed. Your future plans are uncertain. Would you stand with me, everybody in the building? Get a musician to come help me today. I said it earlier. We come on days like this and we put on our Sunday best. And our Sunday best smile goes with it. (laughs) And we come in and we want everybody to think the best of us and think everything's good and everything's right. But there are pressures and there are stresses and there are burdens and there are trials and tests that are going on in the minds of people in this hour. Can I tell you in the day and age that we live in, your biggest struggle is not going to be with finances. Your biggest struggle is not going to be with other people. It's not going to be with your family. The biggest stress that you and I face in this hour is what goes on in our mind. The mental torment, the emotional unrest, the questions of how do I deal with this? How do I get through this situation? How do I deal with this circumstance? Oh, you were living your life a week or two or a month or two or even a year ago, and everything was good and everything was awesome. And then that first carpenter showed up and narrowed your view just a little bit. And you thought, oh, God, I didn't expect this. I wasn't looking for it. Didn't want it to happen, but it happened. And your schedule has gone out the proverbial window. There's some of you in this building today, no doubt, that sometime in the recent weeks or months, you're the one that sat in the doctor's office and had him look at you and say, here's the diagnosis. And you felt the weight of the cross. Somewhere in the last few years, some of you had that spouse that looked at you said, I want out. I'm done. Can't take anymore. Don't want to deal with the pressure anymore. And all of a sudden, you felt the weight of a cross. There's some of you in this building today, that teenage son or daughter, said, I can't take this anymore, walked out. And now the stress and the burden and the pressure. Some of you haven't been that long since you could write a check and pay all the bills. But unbeknownst to other people, it started getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And you still look good, but you're carrying the weight of that cross and the burden of all of that. You'd you'd rather not carry it. You have other things to do. You were headed somewhere else. You didn't ask for it anyway. Every head bowed right now. Play for me. Every head bowed. And I I realize it's Easter. I've preached a lot of Easter's. And it'd be fun to preach the excitement, but there's some of you that are carrying unasked for crosses. 
and you've asked the questions in midnight hours, why me, God? Why now, God? I wasn't looking for this. And God, it seems to be heavier than I can bear. And it's more than I can handle, God. But I've come to tell you today, he knows the way that you take. He knows the cross you're carrying. You may not have asked for it, but he specifically designed it for you. He specifically fashioned it for you. Well, preacher, how long do I have to carry it? What am I going to do with it? You're going to take it to Calvary. You're going to take it back to him and say, God, here's the cross. Just like Simon the Cyrenian was able to do, he carries the cross to Calvary. And he's able to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, this isn't my cross. This is your cross. And I'm giving it back to you. And Jesus gladly takes the cross off of his shoulders. Can I tell some of you today the burden you're carrying and the stress you're feeling and the pressure you have? He designed it. He knew it was coming. But he put it there to push you to Calvary. Calvary to get you back into his presence uh, where he can say, thank you. I'll take that off of you now.